With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Yeah, but they've struck out 44 times through two and two-third games in the series. I mean, one of them was a 14-inning game, but that's still an insanely high number. Still got good stuff. He's got a mid-90s fastball, and he's got a, a, a white boat slider. Dear, dear Mr. Dork, here's your ball. Can you please tell me which gas station you work at so I can come heckle you? And welcome to episode 23 of Artificial Turf Wars, where we make our trade offers after the deadline. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined, as per usual, by the incredible Josh Housem. Josh, how's it going tonight? Well, he just called me incredible, so I can't really complain, can I? I I figured buttering you up once every four or five shows will keep you coming back for more. And here I am just always putting you down. I feel bad now. Pretty much. Um, if I ever going to get someone to submit questions to try and stump you again, I have to paint you as the bad guy. <laughs> Touche. <laughs> um, so... Uh, we have, of course, uh, the last week to discuss. We have the trades at the trade deadline have happened since our last podcast. The offense seems to have forgotten where they put the bats. Uh, Stroman has certainly maybe turned his season around. Um, a few things in there. We have an interview with Stephen J. Nesbitt of the Pittsburgh, uh, where is it? Post-Gazette. Post-Gazette. There it is. So many papers that merged too many times for me. Um, About the Pittsburgh side of some of those trades, uh, we have Lister questions, and Joey Votto's going to get a gold star. But before we do all of that stuff, I think it would be right to start with a (laughs) do-over of the topic (laughs) du jour. (laughs) Because we're not going to avoid this topic, and I don't think we should cram it into that little tiny do-over segment. Aaron Sanchez. What are the Blue Jays going to do with Aaron Sanchez, Josh? <laughs> Nobody seems to know that, and that includes the Blue Jays. Like, I, I, there were some weird things that would come out of the Blue Jays when Anthopolis was, in theory, in charge of, of the message. And I understand that. And it was usually just for the sake of being obtuse. Um, you, could, you could have argued in a lot of cases. Uh, and there was some funny stuff with J.P. Ricciardi. I liked his... It's, <laughs> His, you could say his famous line. Go ahead. Oh, which one were that? Where they, he said that Adam Dunn doesn't like to play baseball? No, no, about the truth. Important. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, the best whatever. It's not a lie if we know the truth. It's like, wait, no, that's the very def. Uh, okay, thank you, JP. That so that'll live on for a long time. But now we have. What is the 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 last message we got? was from John Gibbons before tonight's game. We were recording before the final... Is this the final game in Houston? Yes. Yeah, the, before game three in Houston. Uh, we're recording actually during the game. But before the game, John Gibbons came out and was saying that maybe Aaron Sanchez in the bullpen isn't a done deal. And I lied, it's a four-game set. Um, <laughs> and I'm not even going to edit that out because uh, you lied, not me. <laughs> yeah, but... Uh, yeah, he said that there's no decision been made, even though two days prior he said the decision was being made to do this, and it was just a matter of when. And then <laughs> Shapiro goes on primetime sports and says, "Yeah, there's no way he's pitching the whole season in the rotation." And ah, uh, 
God, it's just such a confusing mess. So, just say nothing until there's a decision. Yeah. Like, just because someone asks you a question doesn't mean you have to keep giving a different answer every time they ask. Uh... Russ Martin did nothing to help the team stay on message when he went on Tim and Sid. Yeah, he sure have said, I don't want this to happen. He should start the whole time. What? Um, like, you had to know from Russell's perspective, if you're going on Tim and Sid, that that question is going to get asked. And you have to know, I assume, as the Blue Jays, that if you're letting Russell Martin go on the Fan 590 in a long-format interview, you got to prep him with, would you mind either steering clear of or staying on some sort of message but how can he stay on message if they don't have one <laughs> they don't know this is a, a starting pitcher who is and i i don't think we're exaggerating to say having a cy young caliber season yeah i think you probably he's the front runner right now um so i understand the difficulty in saying hey we're going to do X because either way you, you lose with some portion of the fan base. But I thought this was all supposed to be based on something um, with Aaron Sanchez's ability or performance, not about how people would feel per se, if he was moved around. We seem to have heard a lot of things about what it should be and what it's going to be and what it might be and what it shouldn't be. <laughs> and the answer is, <laughs> It's nothing at the moment. Aaron Sanchez is a starter for now, and that's the only thing we know. Yeah, and he is actually scheduled to start Saturday, yes. if I'm not mistaken. After, is it Liriano takes his first start? That's correct. So, that is probably, uh, there's a master class in how not to handle a public announcement in this non-decision about Aaron Sanchez's status. Uh, do you have a personal opinion about it? Dare I about ask? what they should do? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we got some questions about this. We should probably just ignore okay, we'll them. Okay, we, we can save it for the question period. No, I'm going to talk about it now. But just, right. I just want to say that Luke at Spork V and Dave Goss, he told us how his name is pronounced again. Because <laughs> he's, he's a boss, yes? They, they asked what we would do. And, you know, based on our conversation last time with... Dr. Mike's son and you know the availability of the starters in the rotation I'd be interested to see if they could use some sort of modified six man rotation where you have Stroman, Dickey and Hap rolling every time out every three you know every five days and then Estrada for his back, Liriano and Sanchez you mix in when openings come up so it's not every six days for them sometimes it could be eight days sometimes it could be nine but it gives them time off recuperation time i, I can yeah. see that uh, my, my take now, i is, haven't worked out how yeah. that would actually work and how many stars it would be because you know i don't really care that much but i i, I would like to see them do that and then maybe shut him down or something if there's no if there's more risk in him going into the bullpen but again i don't really know i'm not a biomechanist or anything like that and my take would be, if you actually have a smoking gun that says Aaron Sanchez is in, at risk of injury, if you really have one, shut him down right now. Just say, we're shutting you down. That's it. And we'll look at the state of the rotation come, say, the middle of September. And if we need to, you know, put you in the minors and ramp you back up again for some reason, then we will. If you don't have a smoking gun, let him take his turn every fifth day. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a little more nuance than that, but I, we I, just don't know, right? I'm not a... Nobody knows. Yeah. Though that's my personal opinion. That doesn't mean that's what they should do. And it certainly, like you, doesn't mean they're actually going to listen to our math uh, or our opinion. Thank God. Um, but it's a doover. They're supposed to come on here and fix it. Well, they have to fix the PR nightmare, not what they're doing with Aaron Sanchez. <laughs> right, right. Just, just decide. <laughs> announce. And we will never talk about it again because you've given us far, far too much to talk about. We shouldn't be talking about this for four. This is the, the fourth podcast in a row we've had something to say about Aaron Sanchez at the bullpen. I know. I was kind of hoping we wouldn't have to, but then this whole debacle happened. <laughs> it was like the topic of the day. All right. So we'll move on uh, to the week that was. 
So they were three and two. I have it since the last podcast. That's taken two out of three from the Orioles and uh, split the first two games in Houston. So rewind to the uh, Orioles series at home. They looked really good overall. Yeah. The um, first. I mean, yeah. I guess you could say for the first twenty-five oh. innings of that series, twenty-four and a half. Yeah, and and I think. Um, I think you could see that that the Orioles really do have a pitching problem that uh, they tried to address with. Was it Wade Miley? Yes. <laughs> There's some names that just do not inspire me, and Wade Miley. Wade Miley is one of them. Um, but they, you know, that really revealed the warts of the Orioles' rotation and or long relief core. That it it, it is not. Uh, without its problems, even though the Orioles are still in first place. However, yeah. the third game revealed... I don't know what it revealed. <laughs> it revealed that Jesse Chavez was probably not going to be a Blue Jay very much longer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. it's Yeah, we're going to get to the trades in a second because obviously we need to talk about them, but that's an error that is happily come and gone. <laughs> it, it didn't look bad on the face of it, did it? The Jesse Chavez era? When you it mean started? when I started? Yeah. No, it, it seemed like... like a good pickup. I think I was openly in favor of it on this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that the, the actual season happened, and there were a lot of hard-hit baseballs that we weren't expecting to come off the bat of, of Jesse Chavez, which, uh, yeah, that's how we do. And they all went over the fence. <laughs> Um, that game also, I believe, marked the final appearance of Franklin Morales, did it not? Yeah. Who experienced a four-mile-an-hour drop-off from when he was throwing his fastball in the couple in the one uh, instance he came in the game in April? Yeah, three and a half or so. That's a lot of miles an hour in a very short period of time. Yeah, so maybe the injury wasn't so phantom after all. <laughs> yeah, it turns out he wasn't faking it. Whoops, sorry. Sorry if we if we ever oh. intimated that. Our bad guys. <laughs> he he may have actually been severely damaged. Uh, okay, so and then they managed to score a total of three runs in the first two games in Houston. So the offense has taken a uh, its own all star break or something. Like do we? And they are striking out like mad. What yeah, happened? They're actually they're up three nothing in the third game in the sixth. They, yeah, but they've struck out forty four times through two and two-third games in the series. I mean, one of them was a 14-inning game, but that's still an insanely high number. Mm. This is what they were doing in April, right? This was where we thought, my God, is this offense ever going to get on track? All they do is whiff. And that was with Justin Smoke playing every day. Well, not every day, but that was Justin Smoke in a regular rotation. So, Well, I mean, he's been replaced by Melvin Upton, who has the worst contact rate in baseball among qualified players on pitches in the strike zone. So you're saying so I wasn't going to fix that problem. This is the brand now. K's and yeah. bombs. <laughs> yeah. Well, speaking of K's and bombs, so we talked about how they're having trouble scoring runs. They're really having trouble scoring runs when they don't hit homers. The last time, again, this is as of the sixth inning of game three, that the Blue Jays scored a run without a home run was in the second inning of the Sunday game against the Orioles. That seems like a very long. So basically one whole podcast to go. <laughs> uh, they scored a run. Oh, that's interesting. Um, that's lots of solo homers. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, so we have an anemic offense, but they actually somehow managed to squeeze out two home runs, which was enough to win last night. And I was kind of incredulous that the bullpen held a one-run lead for two innings without using Roberto Osuna. Yeah, yeah. Danny Barnes make his major <laughs> debut. Now, should that really be shocking me that much? Like, is that is that a sad, sad state of the bullpen reflection? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it shouldn't be shocking you that much, but it's not surprising that it doesn't. Uh, there's a Twitter user, the Road Guy, does. that yep. he tracks how many times the Jays have held uh, a one, two, or three run lead, and for how many innings successfully. And the numbers are just abysmal. That was like the seventh time in uh, in the four months of the season that they've held a two uh, a one run lead for more than two inning or for more than an inning without giving it up. Oh my god, that's horrible. 
It is. It's That's, ridiculous. Is that real? Yeah. Yeah, if you follow uh, the road guy, he has a he has a running I tally. I do, but I was out, so I didn't yeah. see that. Yeah, seventh time they've held a one-run lead for two innings or more, or just two innings. I was like, oh, my God. Okay, the trades. Do you want to break all those down? Because I'm probably <laughs> lost one somewhere in there. <laughs> nice segue. Yeah, um, no trades. <laughs> trade the bullpen. We did trade the bullpen. That's true, we did. Uh, yeah, so as you, as you sort of alluded to, so, uh, Chavez is out. <laughs> Like these two moves are sort of, I would take them in tandem. Actually, all three, but these two especially. Chavez was flipped to the the Angels for Mike Bolsinger at almost the exact same time that Feldman was acquired from the Astros for one of those low minor league arms that the Jays, you know, they're the rookie ball guys. Right. Also named Chavez, by the way. But um, <laughs> yeah. not not complicated at all. No, no, not not confusing. <laughs> um. So Feldman steps into the role that Chavez was supposed to fill, which is the swing man who pitches well. <laughs> There's no and, role for a guy who pitches badly, is there? It's like, oh, you'll be the, you'll be our swing or swing man who gives up four or five runs this year. Do you mind? What do you mean? Oh, yeah. There was no role for that. The Jays have had a few foot guys carved out in that role no. this season. That's not um, very yeah. nice. <laughs> uh, and Bolsinger goes to AAA to become starting pitching depth because they have traded Hutchison. Right, and Hutchison was the real big show. Yeah, uh, this was the this was the the you know if the Jays were going to make something called a blockbuster deal, this was it. They traded Hutchison to Pittsburgh for Francisco Liriano and two prospects, <laughs> Reese McGuire and Ramirez. I forget his first name. I'm sorry about that. We have someone who can speak uh, to them Harold. Later. Harold Ramirez, thank you. Because I thought um, that's just not a name that fits with Ramirez at all in my book. I actually think those two players sound very much like the players you get in the low minors on MLB The Show. <laughs> anyway, back to real baseball. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so basically, they, I mean, we have uh, the our, our actual Pittsburgh of help coming up in our interview, so we can go in a little more depth there. But it's very interesting to see the Jays flexing financial muscle for the first time in I don't know, years ever I can't remember the last time this happened since the early 90s you know they picked up salary in the Upton trade not a ton but some mm-hmm. they picked up salary in the Feldman trade they ate all of Chavez's salary and they ate all of Lariano's salary which meant they didn't have to give up anything valuable depending on fact, how you view Drew Hutchison well but they got something of value in, in technically as well that's right, the first but time in the whole yeah. contract, they got those two prospects. That's a and move. That's the part of the move that I really don't. I don't remember seeing that move in ages and ages and ages, where you both bolstered the farm and the major league roster, giving up because you took on cash or salary. That that, that dynamic has not been a Blue Jay dynamic in ages and ages and ages. You're right. So yeah, I mean, they, yeah, it's actually you're right. They they managed to improve their big league club and their farm system at the deadline which is really hard to do <laughs> yeah um the only teams you would see doing that obviously would be like boston or or new york if they were you know finagling a deal from someone else but yeah weird uh so yeah. does but that Liriano, cover everybody oh uh, we should talk about Liriano a little bit more yeah. because of what he's actually going to be for this team you know he is for the last few years he was excellent you know, it's always been a bit wild, but he's so hard to hit, and he was one of the best pitchers in the National League. This year, he's been terrible. His his control is just gone. He's leaving too many pitches over the middle and too many pitches nowhere near the plate. But as you may mention in the interview, as though we may have recorded it before we do this part, this, uh, you're breaking the magic radioness. <laughs> the spell is broken. <laughs> Anyhow, yeah. Well, and I mentioned this in the last podcast with Benoit. The Jays have been getting these guys. Grilly, Benoit, now Liriano, whose stuff is still there, but who are walking extra people and with the hope that they can sort of fix them. And the Blue Jays did have the, after having a horrible April and May in 2015, they had the lowest walk rate in baseball over the last four months of the season. So Among pitchers. Yeah. So, th- yeah, the good walk rate. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think that the reason they might be doing this is is not that they have like some secret, but more or less they've found that they've had success doing it in the past. I think it's actually a strategy for them is to say we 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 focus on getting the ball into the you know command and control in the zone, um, and it's worked. So let's keep doing it until it doesn't work. That's my guess. Yeah, but it's, and I also I think part of it is just like they look at these guys, Grilly, Benoit, and Liriano again. 
Oh, with extreme outlier walk rates, like way off their career levels. Right? And Liriano's at a career high, and when you consider some of the years he had in Minnesota, that's really, really high. And yeah. it, it just basically looks like this can't continue because it's not who this pitcher has been. And it's a yeah, it's a reasonable gamble to take. It's it's not like hoping a guy will get miles an hour back on his fastball, like you allude to, with uh, yeah. with Storin. And it also sets up the rotation for next year, which most people tend not to really talk about because, you know, it was going to be Hutchison probably taking Dickey's spot. But now there's upside, well, I think much more upside than there would have been with Hutch. Now they have legitimately four or five guys who could be number one or two starters, probably five. That's slow down. 2017. <laughs> um, so you probably want to talk about one of those other starters before we go to the interview, because I have it here on our notes that you wanted to go back to Mr. Stroman. Yeah. You know, I mean, Mocha Stroman has had a rough season. There's no denying it. <laughs> you know, his ERA is 474. But he's yeah. made some tweaks. After that game where he got just crushed in Oakland, yeah. where, you know, we talked about this on the podcast, where he threw, went back to just throwing a zillion sinkers and nothing else. He has fixed his pitching. He's, he's fixed his pitch usage, throwing more cutters, curveballs, sliders, everything, and he started getting strikeouts. And that is the magic ingredient for Marcus Stroman. Because even with all the stuff he's he's been tweaking and playing around with, he hasn't seen the strikeouts go. And if you look at your top leaderboard of guys who throw a lot of innings and have a lot of success, you got to now have your eight or nine strikeouts per nine. And, and Stroman has been at five or six this season, right? Yeah. Yeah. And in his last three starts, he has six strikeouts, seven strikeouts, and 13. <laughs> That's a bit of an outlier, but we'll, we'll hope on that. Yeah, but it's interesting when he did that, like 23% cutters. The games where he has thrown his most cutters are the games when he's gotten the most strikeouts. So there might be some correlation there, but basically he's pitching the way he has to pitch. You know, he gave up four runs in six and two-third against the Padres, but three of those runs scored late on an, uh, on an Alex Dickerson home run. And, well, we mentioned last podcast how he was just doing that. Yeah, yeah, that was – he was a ridiculous phenomenon as opposed to a, a batter for, for at least those three games. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, it's encouraging. Yeah. So, uh, we are going to, like I said, go to the, uh, the interview with Stephen Nesbitt now because uh, we did want to get into more depth about who is coming the other way – in the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates, Nelson. Uh, see, I was. I knew I was going to call him Nelson Liriano eventually. Francisco Liriano <laughs> and Drew Hutchison trade. I am not an old man. We'll be right back after this. Happy to be joined by a uh, new guest here on the podcast. It is Stephen Nesbitt from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Welcome to Artificial Turf War, Stephen. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Um, so we are actually bringing you on because you have some experience with uh, Pittsburgh, obviously, being one of their beat writers. We wanted to get your angle on the deadline deal that went down. So I, I guess we would start... Why would Pittsburgh do a deal where they, they give the Jays three players for Drew Hutchison? Yeah, we're we're still trying to figure that out a little bit. I think it comes down to a pretty, pretty simple answer, which is the Pirates, in order to be a stronger team next year and in 2018, um, they needed to unload some of uh, Francisco Liriano's salary. Again, they're they're unloading about $17 million. And for for a club like this, not like you guys, who are spoiled with some uh, some uh, you know pretty large payroll, the Pirates that means a lot. It, Thirteen million dollars a year was not that much to pay, pay Liriano um, for a three-year free agent contract, um, but for the Pirates, it's a big deal. And so when he's not performing, then they uh, they had to make a move pretty quickly. They they worked the phones a lot trying to get any team to take that that deal off their hands and ultimately came down to Toronto was willing but it was going to be costly for them to do that now if you ask the general manager which we did why did you make this move he says the primary goal of this move was to get Drew Hutchison which frankly I think is just his talking point I don't think he believes it. I think, <laughs> I think they'll, they'll they'll take it it's 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 always good to have a controllable starter and they again Hutchison could slot into the rotation next year he could be helpful they think they can they figure some things out for him and i don't i don't think they uh they picked up a guy who they don't believe can help i think they they indeed they do but it was costly and so no the primary goal here 
uh, although they won't say it, was not just to get Drew Hutchinson. It was to unload salary and let them be more flexible next year, let them add some pieces, let them uh, make next year's team better when they don't believe that Liriano right now, as, as he currently stands, is going to really help them or certainly be worth $13 million next year. So uh, I think that's what it comes down to. Uh, but it was a you know, pretty straight salary dump, but they think they got something in return that's, that's relatively valuable. Now, given the fact that it is essentially a pretty transparent salary dump, and this team is only two and a half games out of a wild card spot at the moment, what has the reaction been like? I, I mean, in the clubhouse, have you been able to talk to any players or from the fans you've interacted with about this? Well, yeah, certainly I've heard from a lot of fans. Uh, I'm not with the team right now. They are in uh, Atlanta. I was with them in Milwaukee right before the deadline. They traded, uh, they traded their closer, Mark Melanson, which, again, a, a move where you can... You can certainly understand why they did it. It's a guy with an expiring contract, and seeing what a role this Chapman got, they they figured they you know might as well take advantage of it. And I think honestly that one's going to play out for them really well in the long run. A closer at this point in the season is going to win you what maybe a game, game and a half. Um, and he's, he's again best closer in the league the last four years by the numbers. But uh, but you can you can lose him and still give yourself a fighting chance this year. And I think that's basically what they've done here um so again i was, was not in atlanta but i think the basic uh the simplest way i can explain what they did this week was they didn't strengthen their team there's very little way to, to describe a scenario in which they made their team any stronger this week because they they got rid of their closer and again still have a pretty good bullpen they'll be all right they have a closer in waiting anyway and tony watson uh, and then they get rid of Liriano, and he essentially is replaced by Ivan Nova, who they brought in as, as a two-month rental. Um, and, and Nova probably will be better than Liriano has been, as long as they they stay sort of um, on level, uh, sort of stay where they have been all season. He'll probably be a slight upgrade, but he's not a game changer. He's not a, a huge difference maker. He's not going to be the reason they make the playoffs most likely if they do. So what they did was they opened up some salary for 2017 and they can add this off season, but they did that while not completely uh, putting themselves out of the race this year. They, they left themselves with a chance uh, to compete this year. If, if a lot of things turn around in the last two months, sure. They're, they're two and a half games out right now. If Andrew McCutcheon stops hitting 241 and starts hitting 315, if Josh Harrison uh, turns things around, if Frank Scuzzarelli uh, gets healthy and, is hitting closer to 300 like he did last year. If the starting pitchers, they can find five and, and things turn around, then great. They absolutely can make up this two and a half, two and a half game difference. They can make up that by the end of, you know, this week or next week. So they absolutely have a shot still, but it was not a good enough shot where they needed to, uh, at the trade deadline, bet on this team and, and uh, really do, do a whole lot to make it better because, uh, they, they've seen the last three years they go to the wild card game every single year. You see that there's uh, <laughs> it's not luck, but you can run into an ace pitcher like they have in Bumgarner and Arietta last two years, and all of a sudden, who cares that you won 98 games last year? You were a wild card team, and you lost in the wild card game. And so this year they're set up not as well, and they realize that they can they can still give themselves a fighting chance despite not adding at the deadline. So they didn't completely uh, I would say they didn't completely cripple themselves this year, nor did nor did they build up a stronger team than they had a week ago but are people upset that at the same time they also gave away pieces for the future that could be used in other moves that could have strengthened the team yeah that and that's the that's the troubling part of all this um and and again with with a guy as shrewd as neil huntington i think there are um there is a way i can look at each one of these moves and say i get it i understand why he did that um but this is the one where it's troubling because he's had this—he's had a talking point for several years now, where the Pirates refused to trade their their top prospects for major league talent, and they said uh, you know, they did small moves like they sent Dilson Herrera for Marlon Byrd, who was a, a you know one month rental, and he helped them in a year where they they uh, got through the wild card game and and uh, finally made the true playoffs. But uh, other than that, they've been unwilling, and he says because. As a small market team, our best avenue to getting top prospects is going through the draft and developing these guys. And they have done that. They've had one of the very best farm systems the last few years. And it's paying off this year. And, and you're seeing a number of – we've had uh, – I think over here we've had 10 guys debut this year and another guy made his first career start 
Um, and so there's a certainly a youth movement happening here, and uh, and that's going to pay off for them in the long run. But uh, but these two guys in particular are ones where you could make an argument that their their paths to the majors were blocked. They just signed Francisco Cervelli to a three-year contract extension. Um, they have their backup signed for a little bit, uh, another year. Chris Stewart, they have Elias Diaz at AAA, and, and Reese McGuire is, is at AA, struggling a little bit to hit, and that's going to be a question for a while. I imagine this guy is absolutely going to make the majors at some point. He might end up only being a backup, and, and that might be okay as well. But uh, but he's a guy they felt that they had enough depth ahead of to where they could, they could give him up. And Harold Ramirez is an e- even easier one to explain why they give him away is – he is a guy who, who they truly like. There's no question about that. In spring training, Claire Hurdle called this guy a bone collector because he just gets hits. And he, he hit, I think, somewhere over north of 300 during spring training. And even though he's a, a pretty young guy at uh, 21 years old, when he was with them, he, he showed really nicely. Uh, and he's hit basically over 300 everywhere he's gone in the minors the last couple levels. Uh, but his, the problem is they have guys uh, under contract through, I believe his McCutcheon is 2018. Starling Marte, I think, is 2021, and Gregory Polanco is 2023. So this is a guy who, yeah, he'll get base hits, but he doesn't have power, and he doesn't have a whole lot of speed, and they simply feel like they they aren't going to need him anytime soon in the majors. And so he could be a chip that that you trade away. Now, again, people certainly, to answer your question finally, yeah, people certainly don't like the fact that they gave away two top ten prospects in in, – when they finally decide to, sure, we'll give away some prospects, it's not to get major league talent. It's to get, to get a guy they're going to still in AAA for a little while. And basically they, they used two top ten prospects to uh, entice the Blue Jays to swallow this this contract that they didn't want to pay for themselves. Some some teams in bigger markets would have simply eaten that salary themselves and not, not worried about it. And certainly wouldn't give away two prospects for someone else to eat that salary. But that's just the nature of being a small market team and the decisions the Pirates have to make. So uh, people are not happy, but I think there is a way to look at it where uh, it makes some sense, even though it is a little bit disappointing. Ah, well, all right. Well, that's certainly an interesting perspective on it. It's not something we've really had to deal with here. But just should quick note, New Hampshire is playing today. They're up 4 nothing. RBI single from Harold Ramirez and three-run double for Reese McGuire. That trade. We win. Yay. That's how this decided, right? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's over. Um, I, I just I found it interesting that the Pirates would have to move that much to get rid of uh, Liriano's contract because a lot of times when we see a trade with the Jays, we see someone moved who is in low A or is, you know, an international signing who's 19 years old or 20 years old, and nobody's ever really necessarily heard of the guy, and he gets described as a lottery ticket. I'm, I'm From what you've described, you wouldn't describe either of these guys as a lottery ticket, would you? Um, I don't think so. Um, I, I mean, I think they could turn into good pieces. I don't think they, they really are quite lottery ticket material. Um, although I guess I don't necessarily completely understand. But give me a, a, a little more tight definition of what a lottery ticket is to you. A uh, lottery ticket is someone who hasn't proven anything yet but has, has you know, a, a high ceiling. It sounds like both these guys have proven something because, we're, I mean, we moved them to double A or the Jays moved them to double A right away. Right, right, right. I think, uh, yes, they both had proven that they are – Quality prospects, I think neither had proven that they're elite prospects. And the Pirates, the one thing you can say for what they did at the deadline is they kept their elite prospects. They had a couple of guys uh, who the Rays were trying to get a hold of in, in exchange for starting pitching. Uh, Josh uh, Bell is the first baseman, and Austin Meadows is essentially the uh, heir apparent to Andrew McCutcheon there in the outfield. And they did hold on to those guys. They held on to their own starting pitching. Uh, and I think this was a, a tier, of, tier of prospect that they felt – uh, would have value uh, in the trade market, but also would not uh, would not be completely mortgaging their future because I think they do have uh, you know enough enough time. There are questions with these guys, and you'll you'll see it. They're they're um, again Ramirez is a corner outfielder who doesn't have power, and that's you know not great. But again, he's young, and maybe that'll develop. And McGuire is a guy who's an you know elite defensive catcher. I think that's going to play really well at every level. Uh, and again, just 21 years old himself. But is uh, 
is hitting hitting 259, I think, when he when he left Altoona. And again, no power. He's got four homers in in 323. It looks like minor league games. So uh, we'll see if that stuff develops. But at this point, uh, these are not guys who who were going to rocket to the majors anytime soon. And so they they felt like uh, yeah, they're they're not necessarily those lottery ticket guys that could could. Uh, could haunt them, but I think if, if either of the two is one of those guys, it's probably Reese McGuire because you you want to hold on to quality major league major league potential catching. Well, as the Jays have found out, having absolutely no one other than Josh Tolley to back up Russell Martin at the moment, <laughs> which yeah, we'll get into that some other day. Um, so I, I guess we'll take it to Liriano, who is the major league piece here and has been very good from 2012 to 2015. Could you go in a what what's happened to him in 2016? Yeah, it's been a, a pretty perplexing year for them. They they uh, they he if if he was pitching the way he did the last couple of years, they had, they would have no problem holding on to his contract. That's uh, again 13 million per year is not huge even in this market. Uh, but what's happened this year is is pretty much the things that that plagued him earlier in his career. And the reason he sort of got derailed when he was, uh, you know, leaving Minnesota, he went to Chicago and they finally came to Pittsburgh and, and sort of rediscovered himself was that he is a guy who, who if his command gets away from him, he has a hard time regaining it. And he's always a guy who's going to walk a few guys. He's got uh, the, 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 the good thing for the Jays here is that he's still got good stuff. He's got a mid nineties fastball and he's got a, a, a wipeout slider that continues to be one of the best pitchers that I think are starting pitcher in the major one of the best secondary pitchers that starting pitchers in the majors have his problem is he has thrived for years on getting guys to chase that slider out of the zone getting to chase uh, any any pitch out of the zone and this year they simply haven't I don't know if it's because his pitches are so obviously out of the zone now that guys aren't swinging I, I think it's less of that and more of a a scouting report has gotten around the league to say don't chase on this guy. Don't attack him early. Make him come to you. And if he gets, you'll see so often he gets behind 2-0, and that means he has to grow a fastball in there. They know what's coming, and, and major league hitters can hurt you really, really quickly if they know what's coming. And so that's been his issue. Is if he gets two strikes, he can put somebody away. But uh, he's been falling behind in the count so much. There's there's a stat that Clint Hurdle likes to to keep track of during games and. Uh, he he will he will uh, tell us the number at the end of most starts is is uh, how many outs did this guy get on three pitches or fewer right efficient outs there and this last outing in in Milwaukee which came right on the heels of, of Liriano throwing uh, I think it was six innings and striking out 13 last week against Milwaukee because he went five innings four walks four hits uh, sorry not four walks four runs. And he only had three outs on three or fewer pitches. So he's a guy who has absolutely struggled with an economy of pitches. And uh, and that's something where in the, in the majors, if you spike your pitch count, you're going to go five innings. And you're putting you're putting the rest of it on the bullpen. And so uh, his stuff is still there. His command is not. And that's uh, I guess the Pirates decided at some point they, they weren't going to be able to fix him at least soon enough to, to be sure that his contract, which is a big one for them, is going to be worth it. That's interesting because the the Blue Jays have have lately picked up a bunch of guys who have problems with walks and don't seem intimidated by that at all or or have at least had short-term problems with walks. Um, So we'll see what they can do. And we'll hope hope that he turns it around and for your sake, we'll hope that Hutchison pitches well because we always liked him here even if he was occasionally somewhat maddening to watch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I think they they do do like what he – what he offers, they think it'll help him to get a change of scenery and all. And uh, yeah, I, do, I, I think they truly did get a piece. They think they can help that that can help down the road. And if he turns into a a, a four starter, a three starter, then this deal will probably have been worth it. Although it, there's a whole lot of risk involved in giving up those prospects. But uh, but yeah, Hutchinson will be he will be an interesting one to watch because they have a lot of options. Uh, not right now necessarily because a lot of these guys are rookies, but next year they have a lot of options for who they can plug into the rotation. So uh, as a final note, I don't know if there's anyone uh, that you could talk to. I, I don't get a lot of chance to talk to Pittsburgh folks, but if there's someone who is responsible for the Jose Bautista trade that you know, I'd just <laughs> like to say thank you because uh, I haven't personally <laughs> been able to do that. <laughs> Yeah, I think that I think they've cleaned house on most of those guys, but uh, oh. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'll, I'll reach out, I'll try to find some guys. I know they, 
that that's one that that uh, the, the Pirates have done well to stock the Blue Jays uh, system. I think the only one lately that hasn't done a whole lot for the Jays is uh, Tony Sanchez, who was a former first rounder who I believe got released from from Triple A Buffalo recently. Uh, he uh, didn't pan out, but otherwise the Pirates have done a good job of, of uh, shipping guys up to Canada and having them help out uh, for the Jays pretty well. Except well, Brad Lincoln too. Well, that's true. He, although he came back here last year and uh, was, in, was in spring training, too. Return home. <laughs> Indeed. Well, thank you for joining us, Mr. Nesbitt. Uh, do you have a... You do have a Twitter. What, what is your Twitter handle? My Twitter is just my name. It's Stephen J. Nesbitt. S-T-E-P-H-E-N-J-N-E-S-B-I-T-T. Stephen with a P-H. Perfect. All right. Well, folks, if you're looking for some Pirates news, info, and all that stuff, follow Stephen on Twitter. And again, thank you, Stephen, for joining us and giving us the other side of the trade story. All right, man. Guys, I appreciate it. Good to meet you. Take take care. And we are back after a view from the other side. I do enjoy talking to somebody different. Um, It's always nice to get the perspective of people who've seen something from a little different angle than we have. And especially in this case, it's like, hey, what's actually been happening with this new guy we just got? Yeah, and and we really don't see, even with interleague play, you don't see National League players very much. So I think that's uh, that's cool. Uh, We have, of course, listener questions. Because Yay. we enjoy those sort of interactions. The, the first question is uh, <laughs> the CNE Seagull, who has asked before, at CNE Seagull. Um, can you name all of the Blue Jays, if any, who will be inducted into the level of excellence before Halliday? That's an interesting I just one. named them all. <laughs> <laughs> He's going to be next, for sure. Well, yeah, you would think. Because there are no... No epically good players is. Uh, I'm actually surprised it hasn't happened yet. Hmm. We have um, Del- Delgado's already up there. Yeah, I was there when he was inducted. Um, Steve, Hanky, Carter, Alomar, uh, Tom Cheek, because he's not a player, but he's there. And Cito. Cito Gaston, also not a player, also there. Yeah. And um, George Bell and Beeston. That's the list. Yeah, I, I can't think of anyone who really made their mark between... Like, just, just, I don't think Pat Henkin ever gets up on the level of excellence. <laughs> no, I don't think so either. I, I, I mean, yeah, Barfield was a great player here, but Halby was the best pitcher in baseball, and he was a Blue Jay for 10 years. And he and he made a, an ex, a special effort to stay a Blue Jay twice. Yeah. I think it's him. I'm, and that's why I said I'm surprised it hasn't happened yet, especially when he came back and did that sign the one-day contract, retire as a Blue Jay thing. I thought for sure part of that was a negotiation of going up on the level of excellence. And yet, no. Uh, yeah. Well, maybe with 40,000 fans, maybe they don't need to come up with an excuse to get people out to the ballpark. I'm, I'm They're doing all this 40th anniversary crap this year. They definitely still do that stuff. Uh, yeah, true. I don't know. Uh, maybe they're just sort of waiting for it to settle. Maybe they have their own, like, time limit on things like that that they they unlike the hall of fame don't really explain the rules to question two uh if you had two and could only get rid of the one blue jays tv crew announcing team only oh only yeah who would it be why and are you sure so which guy would have to go it's just one guy it's tabler <laughs> it could <laughs> be anybody else who says which team yeah, it's definitely Buck and Tabby. Yeah, again, I Buck has his place. So I think if you pair him up with Dan Schulman, I, I could listen to Buck for a, you know, not so, eighty-one games so could a year. I, but. but if it's a team, then it's them for sure, right? Because you know, as the team, it's Buck as an announcer and Tabby as an analyst. To me, I, I kind of I, I lean towards getting rid of Barry Davis. But he's not on the announcing team. Blue Jays TV crew. Oh, it's right well, there, and Barry Davis I, just annoys me. In, in even in short bursts, personally, I find his interview style non-existent, and I have, and, and you can tell talk players talk about this. Talk about how good you felt and how excited you were when you came onto the field for the first time today in the seventh inning. You just <laughs> talked about it, Barry. You covered it. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I would get rid of Barry. I think I think probably the players would appreciate that as well. But that's just a guess on my part. Yeah. One more question. You got something? Yeah. 
yeah, this is a kind of a fun one. Sini Siegel asked again. He seemed to be in the nostalgia mode. <laughs> First we had the holiday question, and then this one was inspired by Kevin Pillar making a very nice diving catch in today's game. Who is the greatest Blue Jays defender in history? Tony Fernandez, Dev Devon White, Robbie Alomar, Jesse Barfield, and Kevin Pillar. He didn't actually put Pillar in there. No. <laughs> uh, I don't think Kevin Pillar's played long enough to get into that conversation. I, myself... I am actually really torn between Tony Fernandez and Devon White, to be honest. Ooh, no Robbie. No, I, I, I love what Robbie did, but I, I tend to believe the, the numbers on that in that he was excellent at going to his left. Uh, unreal, in fact, I think, to, to basically cover most of John Olerud's work. But to go to his right uh, apparently was a real weak spot for him, and I would have to view a whole lot more film. Devon White made it look so easy like i i can remember on on one hand how many times it, it was like oh that was a difficult catch it was like he was already there and i was like this is this is incredible there's no way you're always just magically under the ball so to watch that that was for me the, the best way to watch defense is when it was always effortless and tony fernandez well tony fernandez was tony fernandez that little sidearm flip was just so fun to watch I think Sidearm would be generous. <laughs> the flip. Do you have a preference? Uh, I think I'm with you. I think Devon White is the, the best center fielder I've ever seen. Eh, him or Andrew Jones. But I mean, the fact that it's him or Andrew Jones is says about how good I think he was. Yeah, you certainly you know what company he's keeping when you, you, you throw that. I, I kind of wish I actually got to see Gary Maddox play because he, he's the one about whom that, that old saying was uh was created the two-thirds of the world is covered by water the other third is covered by gary maddox yeah so yeah. that that's been applied to like a dozen center fielders since then right so i i'm kind of curious to see how gary manned center field yeah well, sadly we did not get to see that but we did get to see devo so we're lucky enough we will count him as his equal uh barring any other evidence um okay I have a gold star to hand out, so this is a bit of a convoluted one. Joey Votto, I believe it was last night relative to when we're... Yeah, it was last night. Went to catch a foul pop-up in Cincinnati. He leaned into the stands, and this gif was all over the internet, so if you, can't, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you can find it. Leaned into the stands, and the ball, as he was leaning over the, the first row... He got tangled up a little bit with a fan, and the ball kicked off of his hand or his glove. Didn't make the catch. Votto looks down. The guy standing in front of him is wearing a Cincinnati Reds jersey. He grabs the logo on the jersey and looks at it as if to say, I can't believe you're cheering for the Reds and you got in my way. And then he walks back to his position. So you would think I was going to give him a gold star for putting a fan in his place, which I probably would have anyway. But it gets better. Joey Votto <laughs> felt bad. And if there is anything that cements his status as a Canadian baseball player, he felt bad about showing the guy up. So he signed a baseball, which said, I'm very sorry, I was out of character earlier. <laughs> <laughs> he gave the baseball to the man in the front row, learned his name, and apologized to him. Uh, and this is Joey on on what his why he did that. I, here you go. I don't feel a responsibility to be uh, some sort of example or anything like that. Uh, but I do feel like to treat my fellow man with respect, and I felt like I I, I was in the wrong completely there. So I felt like I was in the wrong completely. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh my god uh yeah so i only only joey Votto could somehow make this about about treating your fellow man with respect <laughs> come out i don't know it just it blew my mind that he took that perspective on it so to you joey a gold star <laughs> you know that just reminded me of i think it was bautista in cleveland when he threw the signed ball to the or the non-signed ball to the fan, it's like who was heckling him. That it's like, was sorry, it's like was it Vernon Wells? I think. Oh, it was Vernon Wells. You're yep. right. Yeah, <laughs> and it said your favorite outfielder didn't even sign it. 
Um, that started uh, Dear Dear Idiot, Dear Moron. Uh, let me know where you work. And I'll come down and heckle you at the yeah. right while you're pumping gas or something. <laughs> it was hilarious. And I was like, I can't yeah, believe it. Yeah, it's like, dear, dear Mr. Dork, here's your ball. Can you please tell me which gas station you work at so I can come heckle you? Find your favorite outfielder. <laughs> Not exactly the same uh, sentiment. <laughs> Um, Votto's position, of course, on the whole thing was that the fan was not, in fact, leaning into the field to play or trying to bother him. That Votto was leaning into the stands and that the fan had every right to be there, which uh, I don't know if every player would think that way. But but he saw it that way. So, again, I was I was kind of astonished at the coolness level. Uh, I think we're pretty close to wrapping it up this week. So I would give you a chance, uh, which I didn't really give you a chance last week because you had to stick in your final thought over the closing music <laughs> yeah <laughs> to give me a final thought well we should just my final thought is just Tulo who we didn't even touch on this broke his thumb <laughs> no biggie yeah yeah no big deal he has a <laughs> chip fracture in his thumb he's gonna play tomorrow of course he is well as soon as they said it's about pain tolerance and nothing more that was from George Poulos what did we learn last year about Tulo and pain tolerance he has a ton of it <laughs> <laughs> with a shattered has, back yeah he has the most fragile bones in baseball <laughs> but he cares not no although in fairness 93 miles an hour off the thumb is going to break a lot of people's bones uh so i'm hoping that with the return of too low the lineup maybe calms down and chokes up a little bit and starts thinking about passing the baton again it seems like the ego of this lineup is is broken when uh, some members are out of place like the next guy can't be trusted anymore or something I don't know why that is but that's when they really start swinging is when they're down a man or two hmm. I've noticed that that's interesting um, alright so that would mean that uh, you have been Joshua Housem and I have been Greg Wisniewski and our guest was Stephen J. Nesbitt. You can find me on Twitter at Coolhead2010 and you on Twitter at Joshua Housem and Stephen at Stephen J. Nesbitt with a PH on the Twitter if you would like. And this has been episode number 23 of Artificial Turf Wars, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.